You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. But tonight we're going to start a new series. It's a growth series, and it's called Five Essentials for Maturity. Five Essentials for Maturity, for spiritual maturity, growing in the Lord together. And so these five things are things that we are probably accustomed to, something that we are very familiar with, and something that for some of us may seem to be old hat, but if we're not careful, we can dismiss those or move beyond those, and we can forget about those things. And so what we are going to do in the next five weeks, we are going to dedicate time to reestablishing the foothold, let's say, that these five things are going to have in our life. And um, the five things are this. We are going to look at the Word of God or Bible study. That's going to be the, the first thing that we're going to start with and deal with tonight. The second thing we're going to look at is we are going to look at worship. And we're going to look at worship. Worship is our human response to an infinite God. And how that looks. In every, every one of these segments, we're going to talk about it, build the case for it. And then we're going to ask the question, how do I study the Word of God? Or how do I worship? And then we're going to end out with getting started, some things. So this is going to be applicable to us at every season of life. So if you have been living for God for, let's say, uh, if you've been living for God for 60, 50, let's go, let's go 50 years or more. Would you raise your hand? I've been living for God 50 years or more. Amen. I think everybody else ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise and thank God for that right there. Wow, what an awesome thing that is. Praise God. So this, this has you in mind as well. So this is to reinforce. This is to support. This is to strengthen and, if necessary, to convict. If you have only been living for God for 50 days, this is with you in mind. And this is to unfold maybe some new things to say, hey, realize this is what you need to see. This is what you need a part of. So we have five essentials for maturity, for spiritual growth, for growing in the kingdom of God. And those things are the word of God. We start with the word, then worship. And then we're going to go to giving or our stewardship. There's, there's this interesting thing. You cannot find anyone in the Old Testament, anywhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, that loved God, believed in God, was a believer of the Lord, and did not give of their substance materially to the things of God, even down to the widow's might. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about prayer. And these are not in order of importance. These are just the order that we are going to present them to you. We're going to talk about prayer. You cannot escape any one of these five things. And then finally, we're going to finish out with service and serving in the kingdom of God. So these are the five essentials for maturity. And so we're taking in mind, we're taking the saint that's lived for God for a number of generations or decades, and we're also taking those that may be first approaching something. Or maybe you say, hey, I got one of these down really good, but maybe there's some other areas where I need to work on. And uh, how, how many know that sometimes that's true? Life, how many know life can get out of balance? Life can get out of balance. Um, Today, Luca began walking. Oh, everybody says, oh. And uh, yeah, you need to pray for us is what you all need to do. My, my son is the height of a two-year-old. We were in Indianapolis, and my friend had a two-year-old, and Luca was standing there next to him, and he's the same height. So that means that what my friends got an entire extra year before their son could reach certain things, I've, I've been cheated an entire year. And uh, Luca's already standing up, pulling everything off, uh, and so and now he's walking. And uh, he he got mad this afternoon uh, because he wore himself out in his little legs. And he'd get up and he'd teeter and he'd fall down and he just oh, it was so so upsetting and uh, very dramatic, very dramatic. 
And uh, my wife was responding dramatically to him walking. And so when he couldn't walk anymore, he was too tired, he was very dramatic. But he would get off balance and get out of balance. And so when we as Christians, as disciples, as believers of the Lord, when we have life in our spiritual realm out of balance, we are like that newborn child that's walking around and sometimes wondering, is he going to make it? And you're standing there holding your breath. Oh, come here. And uh, he was fine on the carpet, and then he gets on the tile. And He also had a, a major, probably the worst injury he's had in his life. He jumped off a couch today and uh, landed face first and uh, got a bloody nose the whole nine yards. He's got a little scab there. And so life out of balance is a dangerous thing. So in our spiritual walk with the Lord, we need to have balance. Balance. Now, here's the thing. We get older in life, and we can learn balance, but then as we age, we can have difficulties in balance. Is that right? Because we change. Things happen, and we have to navigate those things. And sometimes we have things that bring assistance to us to maintain our balance. In our spiritual life with God, we do not age in the concept that physically as we decay or we deteriorate. Spiritually, we ought not decay and deteriorate. But as we approach those changes in life, we have to make adjustments so that we don't get out of balance. Because you can say, well, I've been living for God for 30, 40, 50 years. But, but if we're not careful, sometimes seasons so much change that we don't even know that we're out of balance. And so we've got to stay in balance. Is this all right? Amen. This is, and living for God, you don't just hit an autopilot button. Anybody open up a box and it says, some assembly required. Oh, man, there's effort put into this. i got to put this thing together. That's living for God. God has given us his word. God's given us everything we need. But there's some effort. There's some assembly that's required for us to say, hey, i got to put some effort into that. So that's what we are going to seek to accomplish over the next five weeks. It's basic stuff, but this is good stuff. This is, this is meat and potatoes. Nothing fancy, but this is stuff you can build your life on. This is stuff you can go back to. This is stuff I need in my heart. So I'm excited about this. Amen. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this series tonight. And let's ask God to have his way, if you will. Amen with me. Let's just lift our voice together. Lord, I thank you tonight for this wonderful opportunity that we have to come together in your house and God to stand before you and open up this powerful word of God. I pray that you would open up our understanding, strengthen us, God, encourage us, correct us. God, I pray that you would instruct us, Lord, over these next five weeks that we can grow, grow up in your house, God, in a balanced life for the glory of the Lord and let the anointing of God be upon each and every one of us here tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight? Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you tonight. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Amen. So we're going to begin five essentials for maturity. This is our growth series. The Word, worship, giving, prayer, and service. The more that you put into this thing called living for God, amen, the more you will get back. But here is one powerful principle. You will always reap more in the kingdom of God than what you sow. Amen. But it does not come without the sowing. The effort is Required Tonight I want to take you to the topic of the Word, the Word of God, studying the Word of God, in, in taking the Word of God, the intake, if you will, of the Word of God. And we'll begin by going to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we'll look at one verse of Scripture here. We'll revisit this in just a moment, but verse number 16. And the Apostle Paul writes to a young minister that we know as Timothy who would pass through the church at Ephesus. And he says this in Ephesians, uh, or, or 2 Timothy rather, chapter 3 and verse 16. All 
Scripture. Somebody say all. All All Scripture is given. Somebody say given. Given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul is writing to Timothy in this early church New Testament period. And he's telling him, Timothy, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Don't depart from any of it. Don't throw any of it aside, but all of it is given to you by God. This does not come from men. This does not come from the traditions of men, but this comes by God. 66 books in the Old Testament written by an uh, an unknown amount of authors, but there were many that came together over a span of some, what, thousand years together, and they're writing here, and he's saying all Scripture is given. This is gifted to us. This is given to us by God. If God is going to give you something, would you not want to receive what God has for you? And so he's telling Timothy, don't depart from Scripture because it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness and for in, or, or for correction and for instruction in righteousness. But look at what he says. It is given by inspiration of God. What is translated there as the inspiration of God literally is saying that this is God breathed. That this is the essence of God spoken. That this is the essence of God given. This is the word of God that we have here. The word of God. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21. And we're looking at the subcategory here of the word of the word of God. And this is what the apostle Peter says now. And we have another apostle speaking to us. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is Peter establishing? Peter is establishing here that the men, that the prophets were just the instrument. They were just the channel. They were just the conduit. They were just the mouthpiece of God. But be not mistaken, this was the very word of God. This was the spirit of God that was moving on them as they spoke the word of God. So this was not the will of man. This was not the invention of man. This was fundamental. This was paramount to the New Testament church. They were not walking around with some kind of religion that man had made up. And we'll look at this here in a little bit uh, uh, later on tonight. But this was the word of the absolute God. They believed with all of their heart that this was the word of God. And that's the wrong slide there. Um, The first one, it's okay, don't worry about it. We can just go to the title and we can go back and forth to the text. Um, But while you've got that one on there, you can leave that one up. That's the next slide. Amen. There we go. That was the one I was looking for. All right. Give Sister Monica a great big hand. Uh, Melanie, sorry, please. We're We're all messed up tonight and that's not anybody's fault. Amen. So we're now going to go. So the Word of God. Now we're going to look at the Word of God as our source for life. So the New Testament knew that this was the word of God. This was not man's word, but this was something breathed, literally given to us, moved by the Spirit, given to us by God, delivered to us by God. And now we're going to look at the word of God as our source of life. This is important because this is a doctrine that was carried on, a concept, an idea, a belief system, a conviction. We could use that word. This was a conviction of of the Old Testament Jews 
the believers, the followers of God about the Word of God. It is also carried over into the New Testament. We believe this as well. And so when we're looking at the Word of God as our source for life, there is a, there is a phrase, and we'll get to it in a moment, but in Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and verse number 3, there's a phrase that Moses references. And he says this. He says, man cannot live by bread alone. Now, before we go there, you can go back to the slide. Before we go there, let's set this in context. Because here's what's happened. God has spoken to Moses. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt. We know the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Joseph, and now they come up out of Egypt. Moses leads them out of bondage, and he brings them through the wilderness. They cross the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness, and as he's leading them out, he goes up on the mountain, and God gives him the law. He spends 40 days up there, 40 days on the mountain by himself with the Lord. Not once, but twice, if you look in your scripture. Twice he goes up for a total of 80 days on the mountain together with the glory of the Lord. Moses comes down. Moses gives us the law. We call it the law of Moses because not because it was Moses' law, but because it was, the, it was the law of God given through the prophet or the leader Moses. And so Moses comes down and he writes this narrative. He, he captures for the first time what has only been passed through oral traditions of men, the story of God from the beginning as creator all the way down through his judgment of the earth in, in Noah's time, all the way down to redeeming Abraham out of the land and making him his own and establishing a people. And he tells this story all the way to his present day. And when they get out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea, you know the story, they, they need water and they need food. And so you know the story of how the water comes out of the rock and manna comes down from heaven. Manna falls from heaven. Manna literally means what is it. For 40 years they walked around eating what is it. They did not know what to call it. It was not the merchandise products of things that you could pick up at the local market of that day. They did not know what to call it. They, they could liken it to something at best. But they had never seen anything like manna. And the psalmist calls it uh, angel's food. It fell down from heaven every day as the dew and it laid on the ground. The people were required to go gather it. And then they would come back and they would grind it and they would bake with it and they would cook with it. And they would, they would sustain themselves for 40 years in the wilderness by manna. When manna comes down from heaven... It becomes this daily thing that sustains them. It is not from the earth. It is not earthly vegetation. God could have, because he's the creator. He's the one that caused a bush to burn and not be consumed. He's the one that caused water to come out of a rock. He's the one that would feed Elijah with the ravens. He was the one that would do all of this. He could have caused... Coconut trees to come up in the middle of the desert. He could have caused vineyards to come up in the middle of the desert. He could have caused potatoes. He could have caused tomatoes. He could have caused anything, but he did not. He chose to send them something that was not of the physical. Get this. It was not original with the earth. We still call it manna because we don't know what it is. And, and the psalmist said it's angel's food because nobody knows what angels eat, but we know they're probably not eating ham and potatoes. What is it? Something came from heaven and fell down. God chose to sustain them, not with something that was around the earth. Now, that would have given glory to God anyway. Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if an apple tree followed them in the wilderness feeding? That would, that would give glory to God. I would think that would give glory to God. But he chose for it to be something otherworldly to come down and sustain them. And now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And here's what Moses says when he's retelling the story to the second generation that is going to be the ones that inherit the promised land. And he says this, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger... And fed thee with, what is it? Manna. 
which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. The thought process, the understanding that Moses had was, yes, God gave us provision that we ingested. Yes, God gave us water in the middle of the wilderness. But the only reason that we are here is because God spoke something in the middle of our circumstances and it is the word of God. It is the outbreathing. It is the expression of God that is sustaining us, that is keeping us alive. Man does not live by bread alone. When he says that, he's talking about the physical food. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is not the natural things of the world that are sustaining us, but it is the supernatural things of God that are enabling us to live. Somebody said, praise the Lord. You say, well, well, I don't believe that's true. Well, we can't get past Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3 before we see this illustrated. When in Genesis it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. We don't have time to discuss this, but scientifically, light is not something that you can capture. It's not something that you can package, but light in its purest sense is just energy. It's just this movement. It's this activity. Darkness is stagnant. It is a place. But light is not stagnant. Light is energy. And it's moving. It is not still. Get it? It is not dead. But light literally is life in itself. And it exists only because God said, let there be and there was. And that energy that God established in Genesis 1 and 3. And I don't have it all figured out folks. I wasn't around back then. But that same energy is still propelling today. It is still existing today. And right now in this great cosmos we're spinning around at a thousand miles per second. But yet we're held in place by something else we don't understand. Called gravity. Why? Because because man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is what they understood. This is what they preached. This is what they taught. You're not alive just because you ate so many Twinkies in your life. You're alive because God spoke something. From this, from this concept... The Jews practice something that relates to us all the way in 2018. From this, they treat the Word of God as absolutely essential to their living. Absolutely essential. So today, in modernity, and for hundreds of years, hundreds upon hundreds of years, the Jews have been gathering publicly every three days or not more than three days, for a public reading of the Word of God. And the reason why is because as man generally cannot live more than three days without water, they acknowledge that the Word of God is more important than even our natural food. And so we should not go more than three days without ingesting the Word of God within us. They still practice it today. So, three times a week, they gather together to hear the Word of God read. Can I tell you, it's not an accident that our Christian custom, as has been acknowledged traditionally, would meet three times a week to hear the Word of God. Of God read. 
because it was a practice that was grown out of this same thought. Now, I'm not saying it's a doctrine. I'm not saying that if you don't gather together for three times of a public reading, you're not going to make it. No, but I'm illustrating how powerful that principle was that they understood that they put it in place. Now, it goes, it goes farther than that. Let's go, let's, go to, uh, um, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number 17. And let's look at this real quick. Because here we see, of course, it's in the book of Deuteronomy. So we know that this is not yet when the people of God have possessed the promised land, but they are about to. This is the generation that would go in. And they're getting ready to inherit the promise that God has given them. We come to Deuteronomy chapter number 17. And let's begin at verse number 14. And look at what he says. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose." And so he's letting them know, you're going to go, you're going to want a king, you better let God be the one that makes the choice. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. What he's saying here is when you have a king, look at what he says. When you have a king, the king should not gather resources to enable you to go back from where God has brought you from. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Here God is speaking hundreds of years ahead of time through the prophet Moses, and telling them when you come into a kingdom, when you have a king, here are rules for the king. Of course, if you look at the kings, they did not abide by the rules that God had in the principle uh, uh, had established. And look at what he says here. Neither let him greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And verse 18, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, and do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God commanded when they have a king, that he is to take the law, the word of God, and make a copy of it. Now, we are blessed because we live in 2018, and we can have a copy of the word of God right in our hands. In fact, we can have a copy of the word of God right on our phones. We can have a copy of the word of God complete on our watch. But back in the time when we're reading here, the word of God was written on scrolls. They were massive. They were large. They were cumbersome. They were difficult. Not every family owned a scroll, but they would gather around. In fact, that's where synagogues would spring up because they were places that gathered around. They centered around the very word of God. And so they would come to these places and they would read them. God commanded the king. He commanded him... To make a copy. That was a dutiful task. Make a copy. And he is to read it all the days or every day of his life. The king is to read it. It is not something that is to be left for once a year. It's not something that's to be left for once a week. But it is something that must be a daily ingesting. A daily partaking of the word of God. Why? Because he's got to know this. Otherwise his heart's going to be led away. So God establishes this in the Old Testament. And we see the word of God as our source of 
life. Let's go to the next slide. And the next is the Word of God in conversion. The power of the Word of God in conversion. Here's the essence of the Word of God in conversion. If you look, we have Romans chapter number 10. And then also, we are going to go to Hebrews chapter number 4. But let's turn to Romans chapter number 10 here. And let's look. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And here is what he said in verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He's talking about the preaching of the gospel. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, here he is quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It was an understanding that it was a beautiful thing, the feet approaching of somebody that was preaching the word of God. Can I tell you, you should not honor somebody because they have the label of preacher. That is not what makes it unique. But when they proclaim the word of God, that is what makes it special. That's what Isaiah was saying. It's not somebody lifting themselves up, but somebody that's bringing the glad tidings of good things. And he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Look at what he answers. So then faith. Somebody say faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Can I tell you, in everything that we do, and I love it all, we can never, ever dispense with the proclaiming of the word of God. If we redefine preaching just to interpret three stories and a phrase of Scripture... We've missed the point. Folks, we are to preach the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by testimonies. No, we overcome by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. I get that. But faith cometh by hearing or receiving. And we hear or we receive how? By the word of God. We've got to have the word of God in our heart. You say, well, I need faith in my life. Yes, you do. I need faith in my life. And you know where I get that faith? I get that faith from the Word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. So we've got to have this receiving. This receiving comes by the Word of God. It's the Word of God that teaches us these things. It's not somebody just getting up and telling you their opinion. We, we should not. Now, now maybe, maybe as, as, as ministers of the gospel, it's expedient and there's times where we can throw in our opinion on something that's relative to a, a, to a current situation, contemporary issue. But at the end of the day, our opinions are, are worth less. We need the Word of God. Amen. That's why we got to be careful. I've got to give an account before the Lord someday. I will stand before the Lord. And if I have commanded to you to do things that are not in the Word of God, are not founded on the Word of God, I am going to have to give an account for that. If I have kept back part of the Word of God from you, I am going to give an account for that. We've got to preach and declare the Word of God because that's where faith comes from. And then go to Hebrews chapter number 4. Look at this. The word of God in our conversion. So thank God for the word of God that came into me. But look at this. The word of God in our conversion. It says, for the word of God is quick. It is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of our hearts. Let me look at this here. And let's pull this up. Let's, let's go to um, the modern English version here. I want, I want to put this in context here for us. And so we're going to find Hebrews chapter number 4. <clears throat> and I, ha I don't have my other one here. Hebrews chapter number 4. And here's how he says it in verse number 12. For the word of God is alive and active 
and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and able to judge the thought and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is quick and powerful, meaning it's alive. It is active, and it's working. That is the power of the Word of God. You know why we start Sunday morning before anything else? We simply approach this sacred desk and we read a passage of the Word of God because we're declaring this is why we have gathered together. And this, this, this usurps, this stands above. This is the foundation of every song, of every personality that will cross this platform that will try in some way to lead in worship or try to present a God concept or something fresh from the Word. We are founded on the Word of God. And if all we did was stand up and read the Word of God, I'm going to tell you that. That's all you need. Hallelujah. Come on, sometimes, and, I, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead now, but when we get to prayer, I'm going to talk about prayer. How do you pray? Sometimes when you hit a wall and you don't know how to pray and you don't know what to pray, I go back to my same default every time. I go back to the Word of God, and I open up the Word of God. When words have left me, when emotion is gone, when I'm too drained, and I begin with Psalm chapter number 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies and you begin to declare the word of God and what is lifeless and what has burnt out all of a sudden will begin to breathe back life inside and faith comes back in there as you begin to declare the greatness of the glory of God that is the power of the word of God oh thank God for preachers thank God amen for singers but can I tell you there is nothing that outshines the true word of God inside of our heart. Would you clap your hands to the Lord today? Hallelujah. It's alive. It's powerful in our life. Amen. So, so this is awesome that we have this. Let's go on next. The Word of God in spiritual growth or in maturity. The Word of God in spiritual growth. Here we see in 1 Peter chapter number 2, Peter says this. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you ye may grow thereby. How do you grow? You grow by the word of God. You grow by the word of God. The word of God is going gonna, gonna to bring maturity to you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to enhance you. It's going it's to grow you up. It's going to develop. Can I tell you the word of God has stuff in it for every person, every level, every phase, every the word of God never gets old. Those of you that have been living for 50, 50 years in, 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 in God's kingdom, the word of God never loses its freshness, its ability to minister, its ability to heal and to lift up. Amen. And so we need to grow thereby. We grow by the word of God. You want to grow in the kingdom of God? Get yourself in the word of God. You've got to have the Word of God in your life. Christians without the Word of God become anemic Christians. We, we can become, we can do good things and appease our conscience. Hear me. We can do good things and appease our conscience without ever really discussing the Word of God. The Word of God is countercultural. The Word of God is it goes against your flesh. The Word of God is what brings you back, man, into subjection. It's that Word of God. We can become just a social club. We can become a, a, a group of people doing good things. We can be helping our community. We can be helping other people, patting one another on the back, giving one another awards, saying, look at what we've done. Look at what we've done here. and All of this stuff. But it's the Word of God that is going to grow us. Because it's the Word of God that stands in my face after decades of living for God, and knocks on our heart and says, you need to change. It's the word of God. It was the word of the Lord that comes to a, to a king like David, a man after God's own heart, and stands before him and says, you, sir, are that man. It was the word of God that drove David into that bedroom chamber for seven days where he fasted and he weeped and he gave himself to the Lord. It was the word of God, amen, that kept him 
2 Timothy chapter number 3, we read it at the beginning. We went to uh, verse number 16, but let's go back and look at the context that Paul is writing here to Timothy. He's talking about how he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He continues on and go down to verse number 13 and he says this, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The context that he delivers this is a context of deception, of distortion, of one in which you can be led astray. And so he is warning Timothy and he is warning the New Testament church, beware because there is great deception that's coming. If you read through the rest of the apostles, you will see it also in Jude and in Titus and and, uh, Peter. You'll, You'll see the other apostles, James, where they write about false teachers. Teachers, false prophets that will come in and deceive and tear down. I I wish it was not so. I wish there was no false prophets in the Christian church. I wish there was no deception. I wish everybody claiming to be a Christian said the same thing, (laughs) did the same thing, and acted the same way. But it's not happening like that. Paul said it will only get worse and worse. But he lets us know there is a way by which you can be anchored. By which you don't have to worry about it. And he goes on and he says to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Here it is. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. It's the Word of God. Continue, Timothy, in the Word of God that you know, that you've studied, that you've proved, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Amen. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And it is in this context that he lets us know all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is God-ordained. It was not some philosopher in a back room trying to build something. This was not a council of men that sat by and tried to design the greatest religion of the world. This was something that came by Almighty God to one man in one time period and to another in another time period. And in every time period, His Word never changes, but it is the same. God gives that to us. And so you can rest assured by staying with the word of God. All scripture is given. And he says it is profitable. Profitable. Now why wouldn't you want to buy into something that is profitable? Isn't it frustrating when you go and you buy something that's supposed to work and you get home and you try it and it doesn't work? You're like, man, I wasted 10 bucks or I wasted 20 bucks or I wasted whatever, you know. It's like that guy that is, forgive me for this, but it's like the guy that cuts a hole in his John boat and then he puts a screen door on it and he takes a can of spray something and sprays it in and says, see, look, it's not sinking. This will seal everything. It's the answer to everything. It's like the pill that comes out and this pill will solve all of your problems. Nobody's going to help me preach on, on Wednesday night. You know, somebody comes across TV or radio or newspaper or whatever in the interview, and they say, yeah, I just happened to be walking through the Amazon, and I got pricked by this little bush, and I saw, hey, you know what? This little bush will probably help me. It'll probably help me never die. It'll probably help me do my laundry. It'll probably help, my, it'll probably help me get extra gas mileage in my car. And that little thing, that little bush that he found over there is the cure-all for everything. It's like the old men traveling around in a wagon with a tonic that was nothing more than colored water. 
You get home and you say, man, this doesn't work. No, no. Can I tell you? No, the word of God is profitable. <laughs> this works. The word of God works. <laughs> you can bank on it. You can count on it. And it is profitable. What is it profitable? It's profitable for doctrine. You got to get right thinking in your life. You need the word of God. Don't let the world tell you how to think. Can I tell you, we have problems when we, try to, when we try to blend the thinking of the world with the ways of God. It does not mesh. And the world is telling us how to think. Social media is telling us how to think. The world is telling us what to do. We, we are succumbed. We, we walk around in anxiety because everybody else is telling us we've got to live this way. Can I tell you, when you open up the Word of God, it is liberating to know. I don't have to live how they think I should live. I'm just going to live how God wants me to live. And God says he'll take care of the rest. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. Why would you need correction when you're doing things wrong? Who in here will be so arrogant to say you've never done anything wrong? I have done things wrong, folks. Come on. And I need correction. <laughs> I need correction. How, how many's ever messed up? Ever stuck your foot in your mouth? Ever, man, you're like, wow, I, I, I didn't start this one out. This, okay, can I, you ever get up in the morning and 10 o'clock hits and says, man, is there a way I can go back to 6 a.m.? I can just repeat that whole beginning of my morning. If I can go back to that, no. Correction, you make mistakes. I make mistakes. That's where the word of God comes in and it corrects us. It corrects us lovingly. It corrects us with grace and with mercy. It corrects us with hope and with promise. Oh, what an awesome God we serve. And, and it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is profitable. And so I cannot, I cannot make it without the Word of God in my life. Go to Psalm 119 and verse 105. Look at, what, look at what the psalmist writes here. He says, thy word. Everybody say thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You'll stub your toes an awful lot less when you turn the lights on. And spiritually, you'll stub your spiritual toes an awful lot less when you let the Lord's Word give light and life to your pathway. Psalm 119 and 130, and I like how he says this, the entrance of thy words giveth light. The entrance of thy word giveth light. I want the word of God in my life. It giveth understanding unto the simple. It gives understanding to the simple. Even to those that are, are not uh, grasping the complexities of the universe and the complexities of life and everything else, the word of God comes along and gives understanding. Maybe you can't spell it out. Maybe you can't articulate it. Maybe you can't stand in a courtroom or in an academic hall and give an expose or an apologetic defense about the word of God. And you stand like the humble person that says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. <laughs> I can't understand what happened to my eye. I can't understand the physiological, biological things that happened. But all I know is that when Jesus came into my life, that which was impossible became possible. And the miracle is here. It gives understanding to the simple. That's the power of the Word of God. I like this next one. The next one says the Word of God. The next slide says the Word of God is forever settled. I talked about it when I went through the exhibit at the art museum. And there, if you haven't caught it, I'd encourage you to catch it. It's quite interesting. But as, as they have all their things on display that they have discovered from the sunken treasures in the Mediterranean and that lost city, they, there's so much nod to the idolatry and the pagan ideologies and worship of the day, which is, is not able to be separated from their cultural ways of living. And, 
and, and they give this nod to the Egyptian gods and then the Greek gods and the Roman gods and all of these different things. And, and one of the things that they discovered there in the sunken place was, was this incredible stone with perfect impeccable hieroglyphics. And you can stand there and you can look at this stone some 25 I think it's somewhere around 2,500 years old, and it's been perfectly preserved. It fell face down into the, into the mire of the ocean bed, and they pulled it out, and you can look at it. It's right there. Nothing separating you from it. And you can stand there and look at that, but when you read that, of course, you can't read it, but when you read the translation, what it was about was it was about a new God that had come on the scene and a new tax that they had to pay to the new God. That was the religion of the ancient world. They were gods of conveniences and they were god of indulgences and they were god of pleasures. And whenever the rulers and the people wanted to do something else and they needed a way, a means, a justification, there was a new god. So you didn't know you could worship a certain amount of gods now, but by the end of your life, that, that might be a whole different number. It might double. In fact, by the time of Paul, he said the Romans were worshiping so many gods that they were afraid they hadn't got them all and so they built an altar to the unknown God the one that we haven't even known yet the one that hasn't revealed himself to us can I tell you it is refreshing to know that the word of God is forever settled it does not change it will not change it is the same yesterday today and forever and this was something that they would sing about and they would praise God in contrast to all of the world religions he says in 119 and 18 the psalmist forever O Lord thy word is settled in heaven it's been settled it doesn't matter what time period I exist in the word of God is established in eternity Isaiah 40 and 8 he said the grass withereth and the flower fadeth but the word of our God shall stand forever that means if God said something now it does not matter how long it takes his word will not change Jesus testified in Matthew 24 and 35 heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away equating himself with the very I am that spoke the earth into existence Jesus declared heaven and earth may descend and deteriorate into chaos and pass away but my word shall not pass away ever why because he was the forever settled word in heaven it's refreshing to know That's why the apostle could write Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word is never changing. Why why is that refreshing? Because God said that he would make provision for the broken and the bruised and the torn and the scarred. God said that there would be mercy that would be enduring forever. And you can bank on that. It's not going to change tomorrow. He's not going to rescind his grace. He's not going to take back the price that he paid on the cross. It's forever settled for you and for me. So joy is here. It's everlasting peace is here. It's inexhaustible mercy and grace is here without end because it stands forever. Amen. I got to hasten on to a close. The word of God in the spiritual fight. And yes, there is a spiritual battle. There is a struggle. There is a fight. I saw somebody tweet today that they never struggle. And I thought, well, bless God. You're better than me and you're better than the Apostle Paul. Because he says, I die daily. He said, the good that I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. He said that there were a war within his members between the flesh and the spirit. But he said, I have fought the fight. And I have finished my course. I have finished the race. Hallelujah. You know why? Because there is something that Paul gives us. He says in Ephesians 6 and 17, and take. Somebody say, take 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can I tell you, the Word of God is our weapon in the spiritual battle, in the spiritual struggle. And Paul said, we need to take it. There's got to be some effort on our part. There has got to be some exercise to possess the Word of God in my life. But when the Word of God is in my heart... Hallelujah, the psalmist said, I have hid his word in my heart. What? That I might not sin against thee. And I can withstand all the wiles of the devil. Every time that Saint and Lucifer showed himself to Christ to tempt him. At the end of the 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus responded with, it is written. (laughs) It is written. Come on, when you fall down and stumble and you're at your weakest point, that's where you need to invoke the Word of God in your life. Because there is, amen, a spiritual weapon called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So how do I study the Word of God? How do I study the Word of God? Well, you need to resolve to do two things. You need to resolve to read it. You need to resolve to read all of God's Word. My wife sends me a shopping list text, and I only read the first line. It's not going to bid well when I get back home. Amen? In fact, when she says butter, I can't just look at that and say, oh, she needs butter. I got to know, is it salted or unsalted butter? When she says milk, I got to know what kind of milk that she wants for that recipe. I've got to figure those things out. You've got to read the whole thing to know what's going on. So you've got to resolve, I've got to know the Word of God. I've got to know all the Word of God. I don't want to just proof text the Word of God. I don't just want to cherry pick the parts that I like. I don't just want to read the beginning and the ending and say I've got it done. No, I need to know what does the Word of God say. If this is profitable for me, then I want to know it. I want to make sure I'm doing this right on my own. And then the next thing is I need to resolve not only to read the Word of God, to read all of God's Word, but I need to resolve to live it daily, to to read it, to ingest it, to partake of it. Live with it daily. Why? Because man can't live by bread alone. But by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I need God's word in my life every single day. Psalms 119 and 97. He said, oh how, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. The Word of God has got to be in our life. So you need to check your life. Every Christian, every believer needs to read the Word of God. All of the Word of God. You need to have all of the Word of God. And then you need to resolve to take part in it every single day. You say, well, that's crazy. The Word of God, there's a whole bunch of there. How how do I read through the whole Word of God? How do I take it in my life every single day? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Manna fell daily, by the way, and every day they had to go out and they had to collect it. Every day they had to collect it. And manna was what? It was a type of the Word of God. Moses, we read that. It was a type of the Word of God. And if they needed it every day in the wilderness, then how much more do we need it every day in our spiritual walk with the Lord? So let's go to the next one. We'll look at getting started. Here's some things that I would like to highlight. Number one, church attendance. Yes, this counts. Church, your church attendance counts for in taking the Word of God. That is, if you're at a church that puts the Word of God at the center of what's going on. But when you find that, amen, that counts for taking the Word of God. I need to be preached to. I need people to preach the Word of God into my heart. To declare the word of God into my soul. So church attendance counts. You say, well, hey, I, we, we just conveniently happen to have church three times a week here at CTK. Tell somebody, did you know that? Did you know that they had church three times? We conveniently have it, and we would match the rule that, that the Jews live by. They can't go more than three days without the word of God inside of their heart. 
That counts. That's what we're doing. That's why Bible study on midweek is so important. That's why the preaching of the word is so important. Amen. Because we're taking the word of God into our heart. But beyond that, amen, I don't need to just leave the preaching of the word of God to somebody else. But I personally need to be proactive in my life. There is, I could go on, there's a multitude of daily devotionals that you can find. There's all kinds of devotionals, folks. There's devotionals for the living room. There's devotionals for the kitchen. There's devotionals for the bathroom. There's devotion. I'm serious, folks. There's devotionals for, for men. There's devotionals for women. There's devotional for children. There's devotionals for parents. There's devotionals for grandparents. There's devotionals for second cousins three times removed. You are without excuse. There are all kinds of devotionals here that you can get. And I'd encourage you, if that's the way that you want to take the Word of God, you say, well, I just have a hard time. How many have read the book of Genesis? Probably a lot of us that have read the book of Genesis. It's usually not until after Exodus when we get into Numbers and Leviticus that all of a sudden we bog down, making your way through that. Yeah, I know sometimes it can be difficult. So sometimes you need helps and you need things that help you. And that's why we live in such a wonderful day and age where we can have Bible apps. Amen. We, we just finished our series on social media and media, and we talked about all the pitfalls and all the dangers. Why don't you take authority over the narrative and start taking these things and using them for the glory of God? I can talk with people around the world about the Word of God. I do on a, on a weekly basis, multiple times a week. I'm talking with scholars and other people and students and pastors and missionaries around the world, world about their research and their study of the Word of God. I, I've for the first time broken down, because I'm old-fashioned, I like to read my Bible. I like to read the old black and white with, with the red. I, I like to lead it, read it with the cross-reference margins on the side. That is, that is me. The Lord speaks to me on a higher level when I'm reading it. They may not for you, but I don't need pictures. I, I like this is okay. But some people like pictures, and so you know what? There you got picture stories on here. And this year, for the first time, I am listening through the Bible every single day. I picked a one-year devotional, and I am listening. Sometimes I read along, and a lot of times I pause it, and I'll highlight that verse, but I listen. Usually it's in the morning or in the car when I find time by myself to listen to the Word of God. And can I tell you, I'm learning more than I thought because when somebody else is reading things that I would read over or skim over, I'm picking it up. Oh, wow, they said that that way, and I'm hearing it. And sometimes I'll be reading, and I'll, I'll go, and uh, I'll realize, okay, he just read two chapters, and I wasn't paying attention, and I'll stop it, and I go back. I don't cheat. I go back, and I say, okay, I've got I've to read through that again. And so here we are. We have this wonderful thing. Tomorrow's going to be day 109, and sometimes I miss a day. Sometimes I miss two days. And so I etch out some times to make out, make up the time that I, that I, that I had here set on my phone. And, 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 and can I tell you, there's no excuse why not to get the Word of God inside of your heart. There's no excuse not to have the Word of God inside of your soul. So you say, well, I, I've never read through the Bible. Well, just get started. I, we have Bible tools out there. We have charts. Is there a chart on that back table right there, a Bible reading chart? We've got them for adults, and we've got them for children. Can I tell you one of the greatest things I'd encourage you to do? You say, well, I've never read through the Bible. There's some good children's Bibles. And you may think, you may think I'm crazy, but there's some good children's Bibles. You will get you the Bible action Bible if that's what you need, and you read through that. Read through it with your children. Make that something of practice, because I've been reading through the Bible sometimes with children, and wow, the Word of God has spoken to me in that. Get started. Why? Because the Word of God is quick. It is alive, and it is powerful, and it will encourage you, and it will edify you. Amen. And then going on, stand together. I close with this. One-year Bibles, programs, there's different kinds of things. But then I'll finish with this. And this is, this is for me, this is my secret. Make it fun. Say, how do you make the reading of the Bible fun? How do you make it fun? Well, I started with a notebook. 
2002, I went and got a cheap notebook. And every year, I've spent more and more money on a better notebook. And I journal my Bible reading. I write down my questions. I write down my thoughts. I write down what God speaks to me. I write down things I've never seen before. I write down things that sometimes seem obvious, sometimes things that strike me funny, that strike me odd. There are questions that I've written in my journal that I have yet to answer. But I can't tell you how many times I've asked a question on one year and maybe six months later down the road and the answer was given somewhere else in the Word of God. And I make it fun. I don't go out now to Walmart and buy a cheap spiral-bound notebook. I buy me a nice notebook. And I buy me a nice, get you a nice pen. Get you a fancy pen out there. So make it fun and write it down. Why? Because this is the Word of God. And there's nothing more valuable than the Word of God and getting the Word of God inside of your life. Every person needs to resolve to read through the Word of God in your life. How many have ever read through the Bible before? I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody. You read through the Bible before. You don't read through it and say, well, that was a good book and you set it aside. No. You make that a daily practice of reading the Word of God. If you've never read through the Bible, I'm going to tell you, it'll make you feel great. Wow, you read through the Bible as an intentional practice, it'll change your world. If you've never set aside to read the Bible every day, it will change your life just by reading the Word of God. You know how many times you show up to church having read something in the morning and the preacher preaches on it that night? You know how many times that happens? Happens all the time. If you didn't know any better, you think God was trying to talk to you. And then you realize, wait a minute, God is trying to talk to me. And what an awesome thing it is that God does talk to me. God speaks to me through his word. He speaks to you through his word. Amen. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you so much for this opportunity.